Good morning, good morning. Happy Passover. Amen. As some call it Easter, we call it resurrection. Amen. Amen. Uh, goodness, full house today. Glory to God. We're, we're glad to have you here. Uh, my body f let me know this morning when I awakened that I had driven 13 hours from Grand Saline, Texas yesterday. But we so wanted to get back and to be here with, uh, for, for this service today. And uh, so thank you for being here. Amen. I'm going to let you be seated. But wait, wait, no, not yet, not yet. <laughs> I forgot something. I want you to greet the people around you. Move out of your seat, uh, fist bump them, wave at them, whatever you feel comfortable with. And welcome them to Grace Point Church this morning. Amen. When you get through greeting, you can find your way. Go ahead and be seated. Hallelujah. We are so glad you're here today. I'm honored to have my mom, Mr. Raymond Bell, in service. Stand up, Mama, where they can see how pretty you are. <laughs> Mr. Amen. Amen. They drove across state lines to be here this morning from Madison, Florida. We love Mr. Raymond and my mom and so glad and honored to have her. And uh, it's an honor to have Apostle Benny Calloway back home. Come on, Benny. You know I ain't going to let you just sit there. Come on up here. And I want him to come up and just greet you and say hello. He is a member of this church. He is a member of my apostolic team. He is an ordained apostle with our network and he is my spiritual son and he is my friend and he is a great preacher of the gospel of grace amen Bless you. god bless you just want to say good morning and happy resurrection day and it's just good to be back and be among the saints and just anticipating a word from the lord may god bless you And we're happy to have Kayla. Uh, Hannah's not here, I don't guess, but Kayla, stand up and wave at everybody so they can see how pretty you are this morning. Amen. <laughs> she don't like it. <laughs> she just got her driver's license, so be careful out there. Hallelujah. And we're so glad. They, uh, it's amazing. That, uh, it's been a couple of years, really, since we've moved to uh, Alabama and now is back home in Valdosta. And we're so glad to have him. And he is a uh, precious, precious gift to the body of Christ. 
and he'll be ministering from up at this pulpit before long, I promise you. And we're so glad to have him uh, back. We had a great uh, trip this past week. We went out Monday to Grand Saline, Texas to be, be with her mom. And man, when you see what, uh, what you know, a disease like cancer does to a person, it just gives you a divine uh, hatred for that thing. And, uh, and that's not from God. And we uh, prayed for her. And I ask you to continue to pray with me for her complete total recovery and healing. And, uh, but I was able to, to preach at their church. Uh, their church is called Spur On. Hallelujah. Don't that sound like the name of a Texas church? Uh, Spur On Ministries. So I got up there and spurred on uh, Wednesday night. And uh, just a great church. Uh, and uh, Pastor Mike, isn't it? Mike Fletcher uh, there and his wife in, uh, in Mineola, Texas, uh, has a great ministry, great work. And it's a whole different deal. There's a big old dog that just walks all around between the pews and during the service. Y'all are looking like, well, yeah, I'm serious. I'm, I'm serious. He's a regular attender. He's always there. And uh, in fact, I've been there when I've been there before, and they were two dogs uh, that that go and they'll just go around and, and visit with everybody while the service is going on. And I know you're looking strange. It's just a whole different uh, deal. But it's a great ministry, great work. And, uh, and we were honored to, to be there and to, to, to be with them. Uh, happy Easter. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Uh, I want to read a, a couple of verses here and uh, then one out of Hebrews. To me, this is the greatest thing about Easter. Uh, you know, the world is kind of confronted with it, whether they want to be or not on this day, with the possibility of resurrection. Uh, even those that don't uh, worship God, attend church or anything, at least the holiday, so to speak, at least brings that to bear. But here is one of the greatest uh, good news verses, uh, series of verses in the Bible to me. And uh, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth in verse 18. He says now, basically what he's saying is all these things are of God. In other words, these things he's supposed to tell us, he said they're, they're, they're of God. He wants them to believe it. And he says, who has reconciled? Notice it's past tense. God has reconciled us to himself. And how did he do it? Through Jesus Christ. And then he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world, not the church, the world to himself. And it also says that he's not imputing or counting their trespasses or, some, or sin, same thing, same word, to them. God doesn't keep a record of your sin. And it says that over and over in the New Testament, right? And he has committed to us now, his church, those who believe, he's committed this word of reconciliation to us. Now then, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his a representative we are an ambassador for him as through God was as though God was pleading through us in other words God's using our mouth our lips to say this that we implore you on Christ's behalf and this is the message that we are to implore or we are to beseech people with and we are to tell people in this world be reconciled to God because God's already reconciled himself to you through Jesus Christ. 
And, and so at the cross, <clears throat> now this sounds so simple, and if you attend Grace Point Church, you hear this often. But it's, it's, uh, it's something that you'd be surprised uh, of how mi- much of the church world does not know this truth. When I preach forgiveness the way the New Testament presents it, a lot of people have trouble with it. Most of the church sees forgiveness as something that God can do. But forgiveness is something that God has done. At the cross, the sins of the world were sent away or taken away. You remember John the Baptist, that the baptism of Jesus pointed at Christ and said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Not the sin of those who believe it, not the sin of those who accept him, not the sin of the church, but the sin of of the world, the whole entire world. And it says that three different times in the New Testament, that Jesus is another place that says that he is the propitiation not only for our sins, the church, those that believe, but for the sins of the entire world. Jesus did that when he came. And so that's what forgiveness literally means. It means to send away or to remove or to take away. Well, how far have our sins been removed? The Bible says our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's how God explains it. He says our sins have been cast into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered against us anymore. And, and so this is why the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, said that we are to proclaim forgiveness as a done deal, not as a possibility. But it's something that he's already accomplished rather than try to sell it to people as a favor that they can earn if they're good enough. Forgiveness is a gift. And all, like all gifts, a gift has to be received. And, and so the Bible says in Hebrews 9 and 26, the latter part of that verse says that, but now once at the end of the ages that he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So how did Jesus put away sin? Because he sacrificed himself on the cross. Romans 5 and 10 is a very interesting verse because it reveals something to us. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. In other words, God said, even though you were an enemy, in other words, because of sin, God went ahead and reconciled himself to us through his son Jesus, that you were reconciled to God, look at here, through the death of his son. Now then he says much more, having been past tense, reconciled, we shall be what? Saved Saved by what? All right, and I'm not here to separate the events of Jesus like they were not uh, interrelated with one another, but crucifixion of Jesus did not save you. I just read it for you. I thought, oh, I got a better amen than that. The Bible said you're saved by his what? Not by his death, but by his what did his death accomplish? The forgiveness of sin. The removal of sin. Forgiveness does not equal salvation. Forgiveness, God forgave the world of sin. You know, this is the truth that most people don't realize. Every human on this planet right now is presently forgiven of all sin by God. That's really not the message that most churches preach. Therefore, that's not the message that most people know. That's why God's not angry with anybody today because he has reconciled the sin of the world unto himself, not imputing, not counting, not keeping a record 
of men's trespasses against them. If he's not keeping a record of your sin, what would he have to be angry about? Hello? He, the Bible says he put away sin by his sacrifice. And what is it that brings forgiveness? The Bible said without the shedding of what? They sung it today. The shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. That word means forgiveness of sin. When is the last time that Jesus Christ shed his blood? It's 2,000 years ago. That's when forgiveness occurred. That's not when you receive forgiveness. You receive that benefit of that sacrifice, and you enjoyed the benefit of that forgiveness when you believed in Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in him. See, the, the, the cross, Jesus' death took away sin, but when you put your faith in that sacrifice, that's when his eternal life comes in you and you are born again. We are saved by his life. That's what, that's what I just read for you. So the opposite of forgiveness or remission of sin is the word retention of sin. And, and although the, the sins of the world were were taken away at the cross, there are people today that are still carrying their sins. Uh, they, they are crippled by their sins, by what they've done. And it's not because God hadn't forgiven them, it's because they have not believed in his forgiveness. And so therefore, the devil uses their sinning to constantly and viciously uh, uh, accuse them and, and to condemn them. But see, many people, they, they live their lives, even as the Bible and Romans described as slaves to sin. The, the only thing that can free them and empower them to, to, to go like the woman that was caught in the act of adultery where Jesus told her, go and sin no more, is the power and the revelation of God's grace. Remember that woman in John 8 was caught in the very act of adultery. She was thrown at the feet of Jesus there, to, and, and they wanted her to, to be stoned to death. They said, what does the law say? They knew what the law said. That's why they brought her to Jesus. But Jesus looked at this woman after, you know, he emptied the room of all those. He said, without sin, you cast the first stone and they all left. But Jesus simply said, woman, where are your accusers? Where's the people that condemn you? How, where, where, where is that that condemns you? He said, I don't have any, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Then he said, go and sin no more. I told you most of the time the church gets it opposite. They say, go and sin no more and we won't condemn you. But Jesus says, there's no condemnation for me. Now walk in the power of that grace and go live a life that I intended you to live. Go and sin no more. And, that, and what we don't understand is it's that gift of grace that gives people the power to go and sin no more. It's not the knowledge of what sin is and, and what sins are that gives you the power to not to do them. That just empowers sin to be even that stronger. But it's the power of God's grace. And, and, and so from his side, God's side, I want you to know forgiveness is a done deal. It's something that he has done. Now, if, if, if it is the shedding of blood that brings the forgiveness of sin, again, I ask you, when did that event occur? 2,000 years ago. Listen, how many of your sins were future then? How many? All of them. And yet you got churches running around and don't believe in future forgiveness of sin. If there's no future forgiveness of sin, then we're all doomed. Unless Jesus returns and gets on the cross again for us. You ever think of that? Jesus didn't forgive for sin in one, one 
slot of time, he, he removed the sin of the world, past, present, and future. That's what the Bible teaches. Once and for all, it says over and over. And, and so the Bible actually says in Hebrews that now that Jesus has gone to the cross and shed his blood for sin, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. There is no more sacrifice for sin. Jesus did not lie when he said it from the cross. It is finished. And I want to tell you, but, but, but far from, from our side, see, on God's side, forgiveness is a done deal. But on our side, sin can be a very serious uh, a problem. Because, you know, why do you need, in other words, people ask me sometimes, well, why do you need to receive the gift of forgiveness if you're already forgiven? Well, my, my answer to that, for the same reason you need to receive, to receive the grace of God that the Bible says has appeared to all men because it will change your life. God's grace has appeared to all men, but all men have not received that grace, enjoyed the benefit of that grace. Why? Because they have not believed in that grace. When you, when you believe in the grace of God and you believe in the forgiveness of God, then what it does is it frees you immediately from all guilt, condemnation, and you no longer are a slave to sin. It's not enough that God has forgiven you. Uh, grace that's not mixed with faith is worthless. Because the Bible says we are saved by grace through what? Through faith. And so we, God has given us his grace, but we have to put our faith in that sacrifice in that person in his name's Jesus. you got to stop beating yourself up over sin, and you got to start trusting in and believing in the perfect work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Can somebody say amen? amen. See, you are forgiven. And, and I so wish that the whole world knew that. That's why when they lowered the man through the, the roof, I talk about it often, they, they tore the roof off of this home and they lowered a paralyzed man in and they stopped Jesus. They interrupted his preaching. The house was so crowded and filled with people that they couldn't even get this, the, the paralyzed man to Jesus. So they did the only option they thought they had. They climbed up on the roof with a paralyzed man on a cot and they, and they tied ropes to his stretcher and they tore the roof off. And they lowered him to Jesus. The, the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, I, he didn't see the faith of the man laying on the cot because I don't know how much he really had, but them guys that carried him, they had faith. They said, you just shut up. If we can get you to Jesus, you're going to be better. He said, man, y'all ain't toting me up on no roof. I don't know what he said. It doesn't say. You got to have some faith in them brothers to tote you up on a flat roof. It was a flat roof. It's different than our roofs, but they got him up there nonetheless and they tore the roof off and they lowered him to Jesus and this man never in the Bible says one word he doesn't say anything they lower him in and Jesus looks at him and this is what Jesus says man your sins are right now are not will be are forgiven you the man didn't pray the man didn't confess sins the man didn't ask Jesus nothing and yet Jesus said, right now you are already forgiven. And the Bible said them that sat around, the scribes, the Pharisees, they, they, they didn't like that. And the people, a lot of religious people don't like what I just told you now that you're forgiven. They want to sell it to you. They want to dole it out to you depending on your actions. Forgiveness is a gift. 
God was in Christ and he reconciled the sin of the world. And that's why Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. See, sometimes the reason that we're paralyzed maybe even uh, may not be physical. The reason you're paralyzed, sometimes you're suffering. You, you think, I deserve this because of my sin. I, I, yeah, I kind of somehow deserve this, or I guess I'm reaping what I sowed. I, you know, I'm not ever, have not, nor have I ever said that you, there's not severe, sometimes deadly even, consequences for sin. There are still consequences for sin today, but it's not God doing it to you. It's not God. Don't, don't, don't wrap God up in your stuff. I told you you robbed a bank. They arrest you. Don't go to jail and say, God put me in jail so I could get saved. No, you put yourself there. It just took that because you're so hard-headed. Don't say, I got run over, you know, and I'm in the hospital and I found the Gideon Bible and I read it and got saved. I know the Lord did it. No, the Lord didn't do that. You did it because you didn't look both ways before you crossed the road. God's already done everything you need to be saved. God don't have a circle in red on the calendar three years from today when you're going to get saved. God's got the calendar 2,000 years ago circled in red when his son Jesus died on the cross. And the only time that you need to get saved is when you decide you're going to believe in that sacrifice. It's not the day, it's the day you believe. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Some of us, it just takes longer to get that message of God's love and grace to us. Somebody say amen. amen. And, and so you, you got to, let, you know, if forgiveness of sin only comes when we do something or say something, then Jesus lied to that man. Because that man never confessed nor asked you for his sins to be forgiven, yet Jesus said, you're forgiven. And they said, who can forgive sin but God alone? Jesus said, so that you'll know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. I will say to this man that is sick of the palsy, take up your bed and walk. See, sometimes the reason people suffer and they don't receive the grace of healing and all the things that God has is because we feel that condemnation. And, and I believe that was one of the main things that was blocking that man from getting healed is because somehow he thought his sin was blocking him from getting healed. So Jesus removed the only barrier that was in his mind. You're not, you're forgiven. When that man realized he was forgiven, he was able to get up off of that bed and walk. You'd be able to get up and go on with your life and go on and get up and leave that addiction behind, get up and leave whatever it is behind if you just know and believed in the total, complete, free forgiveness of God. See, you, you're forgiven, and, and the reason why forgiveness is a, is a, is a done deal and salvation is not because forgiveness, listen, forgiveness is a game, if I can use that word, that requires only one player. See, God don't need your permission to forgive you. In other words, no, no more than I did. I, I don't need your permission to forgive you. If you've done me wrong, you, you don't have no say in it. I can forgive you and you can't do a bloody thing about it. You say, I don't, want, I don't accept your forgiveness. I don't receive, I don't care. I forgive you anyhow. Take that. I just forgive you. You can't do nothing about it. You can't stop it. You cannot enjoy the benefit of it, but you can't stop it. Because forgiveness only requires one person to participate. And God said, I decided to reconcile your sin unto myself 
through my son Jesus Christ, and not only yours, but the sin of the entire world. And God said, so I don't need your permission to forgive you. I don't need your participation to forgive you. I don't even need your belief for me to forgive you. I need your belief for you to enjoy the benefit of my forgiveness. See, he forgives us um, because, you know, we, that's just not our nature. I mean, as far as, you know, in, in our puny minds, it, it's hard for us to grasp uh, forgiveness like this because we're not natural born again, born from our, you know, mother's womb to be forgivers. We're, we're not born to be forgivers. In fact, we, we're good at keeping long records of what people have done to us. But thank God he's not like us. He forgives us with unconditional love. I'm amazed at the Christians that run around and say, yes, God has unconditional love, yet they believe he retains their sins. If you've, if you've wronged me and, and I say I love you unconditionally, yet I keep a record of your sins and every time I see you, I look through your sins against me to see you, I, I cannot have unconditional love for you. Unconditional love means that very thing, unconditional. Conditional, no condition. You cannot have unconditional love without unconditional forgiveness. It's impossible. So if you believe in a God that loves unconditionally, you also must believe in a God that has forgiven us unconditionally. And the Bible talks about that, that he forgives us without any regard to our behavior. And he says in Ephesians 1 and 7 that he does that in accordance to the riches his grace. God's love is perfect love. It's called agape love. And, he, and, that, and the Bible says love keeps no record of wrong that's been done. That's why God has chosen to remember our sins no more. And that's why it's called good news. I mean, it's so good news, it's too good to believe news. That's why I told you I grew up in a church that sung Amazing Grace almost every Sunday, but nobody in my church seemed to be amazed by the grace that they sung about. And I never heard one sermon in over a decade about the grace of God. And the only time from our pulpit that I ever heard the word grace used, it was preachers screaming at us saying, don't you believe in that old greasy grace? And grace was an excuse to sin and and they said, they basically, don't be deceived by this grace. And yet the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. When you know his forgiveness, then you are empowered to forgive yourself. And then you're empowered to forgive others. You still need to receive that forgiveness, and that forgiveness is great when you believe in it. And, and, and you receive his grace, and you receive his forgiveness uh, it, it's, it's important because, it, listen, if you don't believe you're forgiven, then you're, you, will, you will act like an unforgiven sinner. You will live like an unforgiven sinner. Uh, forgiveness is just God decided to do it. doesn't require our participation. But now, what I read to you today, and I'm almost done, is he said, now be reconciled to God because I've already reconciled myself to you. And, and he says that he has reconciled, God has done it, past tense, but then he, he admonishes us, he implores us to tell people the ministry of reconciliation was given to the church, and he says this, tell them, be reconciled to God. 
Now, that requires their participation. See, because reconciliation, unlike forgiveness, is a two-player game. In other words, both sides need to play or participate in order for there to be reconciliation. Now, God says, from my side, I've done my part. I've already reconciled myself to you, and I declare you unconditionally forgiven. In other words, won't you consider like the husband and the wife and consider a husband whose wife has been unfaithful to him and she is actually living with another man that is not her husband. And yet the husband says to the wife, I forgive you totally. I just want you to come back home. I love you. I forgive you. I will never bring it up. I will never speak of it again. And I just, I, I, I want you as my wife, just as much as I ever have. Come home. I love you. Now, even though his wife is estranged from him at this time, the reconciliation has not yet occurred, has it? Because it depends on what the wife does with that message of reconciliation. Now, unless she chooses to be reconciled, there can be no reconciliation. Am I right? It would be foolish to, to, to go around and, and, and say, you know, go around and tell everybody, uh, me and my wife have reconciled. Well, where does she? She still lives over here with this other fella. And she's still sleeping over here with this other guy. But we're reconciled. They would think that would be foolish, strange, and untrue. Right? Because they're not reconciled. Why not? Because the wife has not entered in to that wonderful gift of reconciliation that the husband has offered. See, that's why God says in my text today to be reconciled with God. And see, this changes everything. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about this new covenant. And he said, this is like the waters of Noah to me. He was prophesying about the coming day of the new covenant that you and I now find the privilege of ourselves living in. For we're no longer under the law, but under grace. That's why sin has no dominion over us, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. And, and so Isaiah went on to say, he said, he, he established the importance of this in God's heart. And God was talking through the prophet and he said, this is like the waters of Noah to me. I mean, that was a real worldwide event, a big deal. And God said, this new covenant is going to be like that. It's going to be at that caliber. It's going to be like the waters of Noah to me. And he said, just like I swore to Noah that I would never again flood the entire world with water for redemptive purposes, mind you. He said, it will be the same with this. He said, I say to you that I will never remove my kindness from you nor shall I ever be angry with you again, saith God. And yet, pulpits across America are filled with preachers that preach God as an angry God. They present him as a God that sends hurricanes to New Orleans that I just drove through yesterday. They present God as a God that sends earthquakes and kills people and drowns folks in Houston to get a few people's attention. They present God more like the Godfather than Father God. 
And no wonder the world don't want to hear about our religion, our Christianity, because they don't know about God's goodness. They only know what religion has portrayed him to be. Imagine that wife who projects her brokenness. Imagine she was raised in an abusive home and, and she projects all of her brokenness onto her husband and she sees him through that lens. Imagine walking up to a mirror that has been shattered into multiple fragmented pieces and you look in that mirror and yet you see fragmented things yourself, but yet you're not really fragmented. It's what you're looking at that gives the image of, of fragmentation. Are you with me? And some people, look at, they look at God through fragmented lenses of man's religion and they accuse God and they blame God and they say God's responsible and they preach ridiculous things at funerals that God took my baby. I had to preach a funeral some time ago and where a young girl, a personal friend of mine in his 20s, that his daughter, uh, by another marriage, had, had a, she overdosed and she died. It's in middle of Georgia. It broke my heart when he called me and he asked me would I come and, and participate in the funeral. And I said, of course I will. And I drove up there and then his wife, you know, ex-wife, she, she had her own preachers that she wanted to be involved and so we had two other ministers and, and I made three it was a horrible opportunity for me because I had to follow two preachers that blamed all that on God one of them got up and said God never makes a mistake don't question him and that gave the impression that God was behind it maybe God gave her the drugs he just didn't measure it right, I guess. Made God out to be a killer. They just said, don't question God. He never makes a mistake. So if they're saying to the congregation that God didn't make a mistake, that means God was behind this girl's death. Y'all don't look at me like y'all ain't never heard that at funerals. And if your pastor preaches that way, you need to run, Sally, run. Find you another place to get fed. Because you are in erroneous blasphemous heresy that is impugning the name of the God who is love. Don't have it. He is it. Just because you don't understand means don't mean God's got the problem. It's your understanding that's the problem. So he got up and told everybody God don't make a mistake. He got up and said that when people die, you know, it's God's will whether we understand it or not. Well, I wonder why Jesus raised the dead when he come to earth. Why didn't he leave that widow of Nain's son dead? On the, he, Jesus was meet, he was walking into the city with his disciples. They was coming out with a funeral procession. They kind of bumped into each other. Jesus did not attend many funerals, but the ones he did attend did not conclude in the fashion by which they had been concluding in. Jesus stopped that funeral procession, raised that young man from the dead, and gave him back to mama. I always wondered if the funeral home man got paid anyway. I don't know how that worked out for him. <laughs> I wonder why he raised the dead. You ever heard people say, well, when you go, it's just your time to go? It's not true. It's not true. And Jesus proved it wasn't true because Jesus did the will of the Father. 
When Jesus stood outside Lazarus' tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth, that's because Lazarus died prematurely. Jesus said, no, we're not having this. Come on out of here. He raised him from the dead. So that one preacher got through with that. And then number two preacher got up and basically said the same thing. Can you imagine me coming up third behind that? And you have to be careful because everybody don't understand. Now the second preacher tried to preach hellfire, brimstone, and scare the Hades out of everybody and get a salvation altar call, which nobody came on, by the way. There were so many young people there. What a tremendous opportunity if you're going to say anything to talk about grace and goodness and the Bible says, John 10, the thief cometh not, but steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. There ain't one verse in the entire Bible said God ever took anybody, and then the result of that was they, were, they died. Anybody God took, that it says God took them, it was Moses and, and uh, Enoch and the people like that, that they just left him alive. <laughs> so if God takes you, you'll just do like... Uh, Elijah, you'll just step over in the fiery chariot and go on home. There won't be no funeral. <laughs> That's how God takes you. Hello? When I got through and I did my little talk, and I'll let you wonder what I said, but it wasn't that God was doing it. And I tried to be mindful of the preachers that were ignorant. But the daddy that invited me came to me at the graveside put his arms around me, still with real tears running down his face. He said, Brother Dale, it means so much to me that you drive all the way this way and preach my daughter's funeral. And he said, I want you to know I apologize for what them other two fellas said because my wife wanted them to participate. But he said, I want you to know. And he looked me right up in the face and squared his chin. He said, I don't believe one word of anything they said. He said, I know God didn't take my daughter, and I know God wasn't behind it. And he said, I know God is good. Can somebody give God praise? See, that's what matters. That's what matters. Because the Bible said it is the goodness of God that leads men. Don't shove them. Leads men to repent. And the word repent don't mean fall on your face, tell God what a sorry sinner you are. The word repent means what? Change your mind. Change the way you think. So God says, when you preach and declare my grace and my goodness, that is what that leads people to change their mind about me, God. And when they change their mind about me, when they realize that I'm not holding their sins against them, and I'm not punishing them, but I have forgiven them, and I've taken away their sin, and their sin is no longer a barrier between me and them or my love for them. For while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated how much he loved us. By dying on the cross through Jesus Christ. So God says your sin is no longer a barrier. The only barrier is do you believe in the good news? Do you believe that you're forgiven? Then accept the life that comes with it. When Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't say, I need to come back to the garden and, and forgive you of the wrong you've done me. God never mentions that. He, he, what God says is that I've come that they might have what? Life. God said to Adam and Eve, in the day you sin, you'll die. He didn't say in the day you eat of this tree, you'll need my forgiveness. He said in the day you eat of this, you will die. And you've, he said, Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. Whose life do you think God gives you when you get born again? Yours with a paint job? Uh-uh. 
His life. Is his life eternal or temporary? Eternal. What kind of life do you have abiding in you if you've been born from above? Eternal life. Somebody says, you believe in once saved, always saved. Well, if you can believe a butterfly can turn back into a caterpillar. then I believe you can lose it. But until you show me a butterfly that turns back into a caterpillar, I believe once you've been born again, you're born again from then on, buddy. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, washed forever, cleansed, forgiven, and given eternal life. Come on, stand with me and give God praise. Hallelujah. Do you receive it this morning? Come on, praise him like you believe it. Hallelujah. Glory. That is why it's called the gospel. There is no bad news contained in the good news. Somebody's asked me for, why don't you talk more about bad stuff? Because there's no bad news in good news. In the good news, there's only good news. And I have been called to preach the ministry of the gospel, good news of grace. Y'all don't get bad news from CNN or wherever you get it from. But I'm here to tell you about the good news. Amen? Well, we love you. We're glad you're here. Listen, if you don't know about this Jesus, I'm going to be standing right down here. Man, it'd be a privilege for me to talk to you, pray with you, hug your neck, shake your hands, fist bump you. I got elders always watching every Sunday. If more folk come than I can deal with, they always come out and help me. We love you. We appreciate you. We want you to know the truth about God. Number one, you are totally forgiven. He didn't need your permission. Number two, he begs you, he implores you, be reconciled to him. He said, I've done my part on my side. All he wants you to do is believe in it, put your faith in him. And that way, the reconciliation, and you can walk hand in hand, arm in arm, spirit in spirit with God and say, you know what? I've been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Happy Easter. I'm standing down here. If you want us to pray with you, it would be our honor to go and enjoy this day in Jesus' name. Amen.